Welcome back for another episode of the Leader of Learning podcast, the show where educators can come find inspiration to transform education through effective leadership. I'm your host, Dan Krinas. Let's get started. What's up, all you leaders of learning? Welcome to episode 15 of the podcast. I am really excited because on this episode release date, it is my birthday, but I'm also excited to bring you uh, a special guest today, someone who I think is incredible and has amazing thoughts, ideas, and is sharing some just unbelievable content. She is an author and blogger. She's a fellow ASCD emerging leader, a district administrator, and in general, she is just an amazing and unbelievable thought leader. Star Saxstein joins me on this episode, and we had the most amazing conversation, and I'm really excited for you to listen to it. One of the biggest takeaways and really what inspired the title for this episode was the fact that we talked so much about the quote-unquote game of education. It's unfair for students to be expected to just play the game of education when really at this stage of the game, we need to be concentrating on making sure they're succeeding in getting the kind of quality education that they deserve, which really should be all about making sure that they're growing and achieving every step of the way. Star's book, Hacking Assessment, is one that really influenced me and my thoughts, the way I look at grading students and assessing students. And I don't want to give too much away, but I really hope that you enjoy this conversation that I had with Star as much as I did in actually speaking with her. Please give it a listen. I am honored and privileged to be speaking with Star Saxstein. Star, thank you so much for joining me. And if you could just introduce yourself to everybody. Thanks for having me on, Dan. Um, So Star Saxstein, currently the Director of Humanities, K-12 in West Hempstead, New York. Um, Author of a few books um, about assessment in particular and other student empowerment issues like feedback and getting kids more involved with their, their learning and... I don't know. I don't know. How else do you describe me? I'm just, I'm an educator who loves kids and doing what's best for kids. That's a great way to describe yourself. Um, I I would describe you as uh, someone who's super passionate in a lot of different areas about education. And uh, actually, before I just hit record, you and I were both kind of sharing uh, our backgrounds in journalism. I think you do a lot more writing than I do, but uh, I'll leave that to you. Anyway, I I love the stuff you write. And so uh, I know that you've kind of gradually shifted your focus to this transition that you've made into a leadership capacity. And you kind of just mentioned that your, what your position is. Um, But I'm wondering if you can sort of explain that transition, how it's been for you and what you've learned from it. I didn't know I was going to be doing this in June. Like I was in the classroom in June still. um, And an opportunity came up as I was leaving the school year to take on this leadership role. And I saw what the description was. And one of the funny things is, is, you know, sometimes you take these crazy risks And you're like, it's never going to happen. So it doesn't really matter. Um, So I put my resume out there. I knew um, on paper I was somewhat unqualified for what they were looking for, but I knew that I could do the job. So I like on a whim just kind of applied for the position and went through a crazy experience. And now I will say two things about the transition. First of all, as an educator, as a classroom educator, 
you can't really appreciate how challenging it is to be an administrator. I think I made a lot of assumptions about my leaders in the past, very unfairly. So to all my former administrators and leaders out there, I am horrifically, uh, not shame, shameful about it, but you know, I definitely, I'm one of those teachers who probably pushed a lot of buttons to try to do the kind of things I was doing without a really good appreciation for how challenging it is on this end to please everybody. And now that I'm responsible for like five departments worth of people, it's hard. It's hard to make people happy. It's hard to win over a department who's used to doing something a certain way and try to get them to be excited about trying something new when they've been doing it a long time. And, you know, I kind of rely a little bit on my passion. Um, but now it's really like, it's not about what I say, it's about what I do. And I was like that with the kids. And I try to keep my lens right now as I'm transitioning into this position that I'm no longer in the silo by myself in a classroom where I could shut a door and do whatever the hell I want. Now I'm responsible for making sure that I'm doing the right thing. And that's scary. I mean, it's scary when you're doing it with kids, but now legally I'm responsible for a lot of people and their decisions as well. And um, until I took my school law class this past semester, I never had an appreciation for probably how much trouble I could have got myself in with a lot of the risks that I took. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I, I really appreciate actually the talk uh, about risk taking. And you even said kind of you took a, a leap of faith into this this role. Um, and, you know, I've spoken to some other guests now that I've had this podcast going for a little while who have made similar transitions. And actually, one of the recent episodes, I spoke with Tara Martin, and she was saying some of the same stuff where the responsibilities have just become like, they changed exponentially. Uh, and, and it's just so different. But um, let me switch gears and actually get back to some of the stuff that you've written. Like I said, I'm a fan and particularly uh, hacking assessment and hacking homework, because, you know, you talk about making change and taking risks as educators, I guess what I'm wondering is, are we as educators finally waking up and understanding what works and what doesn't? Are we, are we on the right track to quote unquote hacking assessment and hacking homework? I think that a lot of people, like what's crazy is I wrote hacking assessment two years ago and I would say that more people are reading it now than when I first wrote it. Um, I think in the school that I was teaching in, I was alone in my pursuit of what was going on and most of my colleagues really respected the work that I was doing, but really thought I was crazy. And I was okay with that. You know, like anybody who was interested could poke around, but I didn't force my ideas on anybody else. And the kids talked about it enough. But the additional challenge was that I was teaching 11th and 12th grade. So these kids were coming to me after 10 years in a system that was telling them everything different than what I was telling them. And I think that these ideas have been around for a really long time. I don't think that I came up with anything new. I think that I just found a way to do it inside of the constraints that exist in the current educational system. So if there's anything novel about my approach, it's just how do you get 150 kids the feedback that they need without using grades or without doing all of these things. And because of the amazing technology that we have, there are so many things that you could do to make that possible now. So, I mean, the short answer is I think it's coming along. I think a lot of people are frustrated. I think that they don't know the right solution, but they know what's been going on isn't working anymore. And kids are changing. They're not like we were. But to be honest with you, the system I grew up in, I don't know if we're the same age, but like when I was in high school in the 90s, 
I think I, I succeeded in spite of the system because I was just one of those kids who was going to do well no matter what. And I was very grades driven. So like I played the game and I knew how to play it well. Whereas like my brother, who's only 18 months younger than me and brilliant, refused to play it and got in a lot of trouble and never succeeded as well as he could have in school. It's funny. I actually do have, we are probably about the same age and, and I do have a similar situation because uh, like you, um, the game of school came fairly easy, easily to me. And, and by high school, I kind of sort of knew where I wanted to head and what I wanted to do. Um, I actually have a twin brother who wow. the system did not work very well for. And it wasn't until uh, he went to an an alternative program in at our senior year in high school, and then really kind of found himself more even in college and you know a little later on in uh, education and and in life did he really start to kind of succeed i guess if you will academically yeah, I think my brother was the same exact situation. I just think the rules were very inhibitive um and I think that he couldn't force himself to ascribe to something he didn't understand. And in, you know, to his credit, he didn't conform. And although like for me, I, I knew that like, I mean, I, and I, you know, I think about my Ted talk and I think about like what I'm trying to say to people, because I think a lot of what's happening now, I think it's a lot for some more traditional folks to, to swallow I really appreciate you opening up about that because I think it's it's important uh, a message for for people to hear. And I'll get back to that TED talk in a few minutes. But um, I, I guess you know, for me, I read Hacking Assessment and it, and it hit home. I was actually at that time making the transition out of the classroom to becoming an instructional coach. So there wasn't much I could do. Uh, with my own students in my own classroom. But recently it hit home even more when uh, the guidance counselor at my middle school sent out an email uh, with a list of all of the students who unfortunately failed. I guess it was just the first marking period of the, of the school year now. And I looked at the list and I noticed something that really disturbed me. And it wasn't just the sheer number of students. It was the number of students on that list who were special education students. And I said, like, we're just not doing enough to truly, A, support these students and B, I think, assess them the way that they're meant to be assessed. Um, and so I guess that leads me to my next question. And you can comment on that if you want to. But um, my next question really is like, what is more important to prove that students are meeting learning, learning targets like standards, is that more important or is it more important to show that the students are growing from point A to point B? What, what do you think? I think they're both important um, in similar but different contexts. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important for the learner themselves to be able to recognize the growth from point A to point B, but I think they also need to understand what mastery looks like and what the end target is. I think with certain populations of students, where you put your focus at different times will, will really be a part of what the whole big picture looks like. If you have a struggling student who, or before I even say that, you have a really bright student who just doesn't do anything. And I, this is, this drives me crazy as now a leader listening to some of my, my team speak about this. Like I'm on the grading policy committee um, in the middle school which I have to admit openly, and I've said this is a little like torture, and my, my soul kind of dies a little bit while I'm sitting in there listening to the conversations that are going on, because I am new to the district, and I, don't, I know that my beliefs are not going to be 
taken well. They aren't going to be heard well. So I listen a lot. I listen to what they're saying. And teachers still believe in some places that, you know, how are they going to learn if we don't give them a zero when they don't do their work? And how are we going to, and like at one point- Like participation grades, essentially. Participation grades, um, punitive points coming off for lateness, Mm -hmm. um, different things like this that- have nothing to do with mastery, especially for a student who takes a little longer to learn. It's interesting you say that because I had another situation just this school year where I was in a, a team meeting. I, I won't tell you what grade level, it doesn't matter, but um, there, was a, there was a student that they were speaking about and, and rightly so, they were concerned about this student because of her excessive absences that were starting to build up. But what was frustrating for me was when they said, look, this girl's going to fail because she's missed so much time. And I have taught her before. Like I said, I've transitioned out of the classroom. But when I was still in the classroom, I had taught her and she's brilliant. She's so bright. She's such a talented reader and writer. I just felt for her because academically, intellectually, she doesn't deserve to fail. And and I was you know, trying to uh, kind of plead my case and, and say, uh, we have to find a way for this girl to succeed because obviously something is going on in her life that makes her miss school this much. But her intelligence hasn't changed and her passion for learning, you know, in, in my case, reading and writing. But uh, you know, she's just a, too bright a student to, to kind of fall th- slip through the cracks like that. Right. Well, I mean, to be honest with you, I had a situation with my, my own son, um, very similar to this last year when he was in sixth grade, where he was going through a really rough time personally. He missed a lot of school. And I mean, he's my, you know, he's my kid, you know, and there was a different situation. He'd show up to school. He was still getting threes and fours, but nobody contacted us um, about the absences to find out what was going on. It it wasn't until I called the school and said, we need to have a a grade level meeting so that we could kind of explain to you what's been going on and why he's been behaving the way that he's been behaving. And I keep my own experience with my son as well as other students I've taught in the past. Just like you said, these kids are under a a ridiculous amount of stress and it comes from everywhere. And I'm not saying to diminish the kind of stress that we go through ourselves, but imagine being a young adolescent aged person where you're already coping with so many different things that are happening to you because you don't have control over them yet. And then also trying to decide your future, depending on the age of the kid that you're talking about, you know, in the 11th and 12th grade, when I was dealing with them, like we have serious meltdowns, clashes with their parents about where they were going to go on with their lives. And some kids just shut down. They understand that this could completely inhibit their future, could completely shut off pathways that are going to be the pathway that gets them to where they want to go. But it's just so much in the moment that all the other stuff kind of goes. And as educators, are we doing them a service by proving to them that they have to follow our rules? Mm-hmm. When there are a million different ways to show what you know, it's just a matter of being a big enough person to say that, you know, my way isn't the only way. And how can I reach this kid who clearly needs an alternative pathway? And I'm, I'm sick of people saying, well, if I do it for this one kid, I have to do, you should be doing it for everyone. Like, honestly, like every child should have the opportunity to show what they know in a way that makes sense to them. And I could guarantee you a test 
is not the way. Um, maybe even a paper isn't the way. But I mean, I would always challenge them to say, you know, what other options have you given this child? If they don't want to do your work, have you asked them to create something on their own? Now you don't even have to do it. Tell them that you'll accept something that is of the same level of rigor and doing the same amount of following whatever objectives you're looking to do and let them create something for you. Um, it drives me a little crazy when I hear teachers saying, I can't, I can't pass this person. Like it's not your responsible, your responsibility to pass or fail any of these kids. It's your responsibility to report and communicate what you see happening in front of you. Yeah. It's very different. Yeah. I mean, uh, I honestly, I feel like we could talk about this forever because I sh share so many similar ideas and thoughts around this. And I, and I think that unfortunately uh, for many teachers that what you were just speaking of uh, and kind of their fixed mindset, I guess, for lack of a better term around some of these newer ideas around uh, letting students show their growth and their learning in, in whatever way they, they want or they can, um, it means to some teachers, to many teachers, it means more work for them, which I don't necessarily agree with, but I understand why some teachers would feel that way. And, and I don't think it has to be. And I think we just need to get out of that. And actually, that, that's kind of a segue into my last question for you. So you mentioned the TED Talk, and, and actually recently wrote a blog post that interested me called Failure is the New Perfect. And then in your TED Talk, you actually even refer to yourself as a recovering perfectionist. So in the blog post, you say things like, I didn't like to collaborate because I didn't believe that anyone could do it as well as I could. And controlling would have been an understatement, which is why it's amazing to think about how far I've come in my adult life. So in your opinion, based on your own life lessons, what inspires people to want to change? Is it about letting go of that control you mentioned? I think it's been so many things for me personally, and a lot of them have to do with having a child of my own and witnessing certain injustices sort of happen. Um, my, my son's not special ed. He's gifted, which is, I, in my mind, still a special needs group. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that, uh, as a matter of fact, I was just having a conversation with someone about this recently where uh, I think that's another thing that educators need to kind of wake up about is that uh, when it comes to quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes now. No one can see me except you. But, uh, you know, when it comes to supporting students, it's not just those lower or struggling students or special ed students. It's also students who need to be pushed and challenged above grade level. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, differently. And, I, you know, I'm a divergent thinker myself. Um, so I think that even when I was playing the game of school as a kid, I had other outside challenges that like, you know, other forces that I was engaging with that helped me in that way. And I was weird. You know what I mean? Like, I'm a weird person. I embrace that now. Um, but I was always a little weird. And I think a lot of people, especially my peers, didn't get it back then. So now in my adult life as that person, it's, you know, something I sort of embrace. I'm probably the only leader in my district who will walk around in my Harry Potter. Like, I, I'm still me, even though I'm in this new role. When I get to be around the kids, that side of me just totally comes out, you know, walking around in my crazy hats and kind of just embracing it. But for me, failure was so scary for so long because I think that in my head, being able to do everything right was so important. And then I started to really consider what doing right meant and then how many ways you could be right. And then how 
limiting it is when you start to think about how much stress you put yourself under to get it right the first time when you see all of these really smart people, Albert Einstein, you know, um, Michael Jordan, all these quotes about how many times they screwed up, you know, before they got to that one amazing moment. And it's so true. Like we mess up, we're imperfect, we're human. And when we can embrace that humanness, I feel like the possibility for so much more is possible. When, when you want to be perfect, you're limiting yourself in so many ways that you're cutting off all of these different possibilities. And the failure is a new perfect kind of came from where we're reading this leadership book by Warren Bennis. And the, the chapter on um, knowing the world talks about how failure is a huge taking risks and failing is a much more common practice to the best leaders than, you know, getting it right. The, the difference is you make the mistake, you take the risk, you make the the mistake you fail you have to learn from that so you don't repeat the same mistakes again and and i think that that's where the whole mindset has to shift we have to tell kids it's okay to be wrong as a matter of fact that's how you learn right and i think when we're little little kids we learn that right away because you don't just come out of the womb walking you know and talking and being all of these things you touch you taste you're exploring the world around you, you're making tons of mistakes, you're falling down, you're getting bruised, you're getting bumped, but eventually you figure it out. And when you do, you have this appreciation and this growing curiosity about the world around you. And at some point as adults, we just beat that out of kids. The school system beats it out of kids. So I mean, what we really need to be doing is encouraging, especially at the higher levels. I think the elementary schools do a great job, even with the testing that starts in third grade, which I think is absolutely ludicrous. Yeah, again, a conversation for another day. It'll get us going for a while. But yeah, I agree. But I think about what kids on the higher end look like and how they're worried about grades and college and all this stuff. And it's almost like they can't. And, and I can empathize with them on a very, very deep level. And it's like, I could say to them only so many times, no, you don't understand. Now's the time. Make every mistake you could possibly make because there are such less consequences for it now. Like enjoy it, embrace it and make it a part of who you are because then, you know, the possibilities are just so much greater and it's scary, but we have to live it ourselves. If we want our kids to live it, we have to live it ourselves. So, I mean, that's the change for me. Like if I want kids to really be making these risks, I, I need to exhibit and model the risks I expect them to be taking. Well, that is an awesome point and one that I want to end on. And, and honestly, I'm going to go back and listen to that and so many of the other things that you said like over and over again, because this has been an amazing interview and you just dropped so much knowledge and ideas and thoughts on me and anyone who listens. So I appreciate that. Before we go, plug time, plug your, your books, your blog, your uh, Twitter, everything. How can people find your stuff? Um, best way to reach me is at Miss Saxine on Twitter. Um, I have my blog at Edweek, um, which is work in progress. So that's a good place to find me as well. And then on Amazon, you have like all the other books, which I think I'm up to 10 now. 
kind of crazy. My yeah, newest, awesome. My newest one was a part of a collaboration this um, this past summer with um, Education Right Now with Jeff Zuhl and Joe Mazza. Ten of us got together in two days and wrote a chapter apiece and put it together. And it was probably one of the most amazing writing experiences of my life. And the best part about it is, is the money, all, all the money that we make goes to a charity to help with suicide prevention. So, I mean, it's it's pretty awesome. Mental health really needs to get a lot of, a lot more help. It needs to get a lot more awareness about what it is and has to come out of the shadows. So I was really proud to be a part of that. All right. Definitely. I will drop in the links to the books and the blog and, and all that stuff that you mentioned on the show notes here. Thank you so much for making some time and talking with me and all of the amazing wealth of information that you've uh, left us with. Thank you so much. Thanks. So that's it, guys. What an amazing conversation. Again, my biggest takeaway is how unfair it is to expect students to play the game of education and how we as educators need to find ways to make sure that students are succeeding. Star and I, of course, got kind of personal talking about our siblings and how they've struggled. Star opened up about how her son had struggled through a certain period of his education And I think all of this just goes to show how as educators, we just need to put ourselves out there and make sure that we are truly in it for the students to make sure that we are doing everything that we possibly can to make sure that students succeed not only in our classrooms and in our schools, but beyond our classroom walls and once they graduate out of our schools. Thank you so much again to Star for joining me on this episode. Please find her on social media at Miss Saxstein. I will include her information, of course, in the show notes for this episode. You can find those at leaderoflearning.com slash episode 15. And I will link to Star's um, Amazon author page where you can find all of her publications and download them and purchase them as you see fit. Again, I highly, highly recommend her book, Hacking Assessment, but there are so many others that she has put pen to paper and really gotten her thoughts down, and I encourage you to go ahead and look her up and read her stuff. As always, I want to thank you for tuning in and listening to me on this episode. For more information, you can always visit leaderoflearning.com for the blog, podcast, and more. We now have a Facebook community at facebook.com slash learning. To reach out to me directly, please find me on Twitter, Voxer, and Instagram at dcrinus. The Leader of Learning podcast is, of course, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts by educators, podcasts for educators, For more information or to find other shows that are part of the network, please visit edupodcastnetwork.com. And please, as always, remember, no matter who you are and where you are, you too can be a leader of learning. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.